the Corrupt Institutions of Development Economics and its Shadow Professorate. In this paper, I basically look at the corrupt incentives that are driving the creation of what I call a shadow professorate or a group of people who increasingly influence development economics. I look at the effect that that has had on the evolution of the uh, development economics profession, on wages, employment, and on international development itself. So to give an overview of the paper, whose link you can find at the bottom of this recording, um, the first thing that the paper tries to do is give an outline for the overall argument. And the argument is as follows. There are what we call uh, corrupt institutions, and these corrupt institutions are those rules that cause people to do things, well, academics and development practitioners to do things that might not be in the common good. So, for example, when uh, professors are paid simply to publish whatever instead of publish good work, uh, then naturally they have incentives to farm out that kind of research and split the difference between that whoever they farmed out the work with. Um, other examples include uh, terms of reference in aid agencies where you need to get somebody now even though they're not really a great expert and because you just get whoever and pay them a low price, it's theoretically equivalent to the example I gave earlier of splitting uh, the money from a professor, just outsourcing to somebody who's less competent. So those are the corrupt institutions part. And the definition of that, uh, it deals with the use of entrusted power for private gain. Anyone familiar with Transparency International's work will know that this definition is kind of the bane of the existence of the private public-private nexus, and this nexus is very much alive and well in both research and practice of development economics. So if on one side we have this idea of corrupt institutions and the misuse of the rules of the game that we use in markets, then we have on the other side this idea of institutional corruption. And these are formal legal rules which say it's okay to hire uh, people to do your work for you as a professor and maybe not include their name at all. Um, those rules themselves distribute profits to people and they were decided by people with financial power, political power, business economic power. And so if the first example of corrupt institutions those are immoral, unethical, illegal, then the institutional corruption is the legal part. It's the part which basically screws the little guy, screws the general wheel at the expense of that select elite group. So you have these two sets of corruption, which then drive this gray economy, this gray economy of researchers, of development practitioners who sit in paper mills and write predatory papers around the world. Uh, they write them in China, they write them in India, they write them for Chinese and Indian uh, students as well as for Russians and Ukrainians. 
an increasingly uh, large number of people with advanced degrees will sit in the UK and US and churn out this work because they can't get onto these formal career ladders that previous generations used to be able to get onto. So whether their mar- their marginal productivity is relatively high or low, it matters less than the fact that they simply don't have access. And therefore, they constitute this pool of what in the literature is called the shadow professorate. And this kind of exciting name, shadow professorate, stems from the fact that they work in the shadows, they are not officially identified in papers, and professor in that they shape the work that we read and that we act upon. So if in the past we could be sure that the study that we read about came from the famous Michael Porter or whoever, nowadays we, we have very little confidence as to who we're reading from. So the Corrupt institutions lead to the shadow professorate, which then leads to crappy development economics outcomes. And that means unsatisfactory development projects. That means uh, health and education and water and construction projects that uh, fail or have the explicit goal of sending money to specific elites and so forth. And Uh, ultimately reduce uh, GDP, GDP growth, uh, human development index scores, and anything that we would consider as human development. And for the purposes of the paper, that's just left completely uh, implicit. It's whatever the reader or researcher thinks their definition of economic development is. That way we don't get into these long debates about, well, you know, if you publish in this journal or do that work, is it really uh, economic development? So we simply take economic development as it is and uh, whatever it claims to want to do, that is the way we treat it in the paper. So the paper, after giving this broad kind of outline of the argument, looks at the a culture of corruption worldwide. Naturally, uh, countries with relatively high cultures of corruption will have institutional incentives to use that in uh, graduate work, in the pseudo-epigraphical writing of dissertations and theses, in writing conference papers for uh, professors and ultimately for peer-reviewed journals that actually weren't written by those people and so forth. So in the paper, we see kind of a breakdown of uh, corruption by various jurisdiction, and we also see the extent to which development is less effective in certain jurisdictions, again, reflecting that kind of that abuse of entrusted power for private gain along those two relative dimensions. Uh, In the paper, uh, I talk about the uh, corruption specifically of economists. Uh, There's been this idea of economist capture in the literature. It was only cited once, ironically. Uh, Nevertheless, the idea of economist capture is that economists work in uh, regulatory agencies. The, uh, they regulate our medicines, our food, uh, our transport, and so forth. 
And so if these institutions themselves can be captured, there's no reason to think that the economists working within them also cannot be captured. Uh, We cite the very uh, little evidence available uh, documenting this. Uh, I also document the uh, numerous cases where economists have failed to uh, cite their uh, conflicts of interests, uh, to they've failed to disclose any potential ethical problems with their research or with their taking on of particular assignments, uh, revolving doors between government and academia, which can... Uh, distort incentives tremendously and otherwise lead to the degradation of uh, any kind of results in development economics. Looking at the institutional corruption side of the, the story, we see a this paints the picture almost of an entire discipline at the mercy of relatively financially well-endowed persons. We see an American Economics Association that has a very watered-down code of ethics that is still unpoliced. You see uh, conflict of interest statements everywhere, and there's check marks that have to be ticked, but nothing ultimately that's done. And if you look at the data, very few econ- these these rules bind on very few economists. Um, and so then we we think, well, what are the types of groups that economists work in where these corrupt incentives might affect them and why might they turn to this shadow professorate that I've described previously. Uh, The first group of institutions, think tanks and uh, NGOs, most studies have found those to be completely compromised. Uh, And so I don't even look at those as there seems to be a credibility gap in place in their research anyway. Uh, Looking at national agencies, uh, there's been a vivid literature in state capture which tries to show a relationship between the extent to which members of parliament, uh, senior regulatory officials and so forth are bending laws in order to advantage bankers, businessmen, and so forth, um, before doing any kind of advanced econometric analysis, one doesn't see any kind of relationship in these data, but even common sense suggests that that's simply because the tools, you can't just throw dots on a page and expect to find some deep relationship. There has to be uh, a more advanced econometric ev- evidence uh, undertaken. Uh, so then we look, well, I look at a test for such corruption. In order to spot the corruption of development economists in their research and their professional life, one needs to know exactly what is such corruption versus something else. And the paper provides a seven-part test where basically the uh, professor, the formal sector professor or uh, international civil servant at the World Bank or in USAID, for example, has to uh, put out some kind of development economic messages which they hold in relatively good faith 
or which they don't engage in for reasons of self-interest, that don't create a distorted message, and ultimately and most importantly, do not create harm and hopefully create some good for a group which is above and beyond any particular interest group that they represent. So that's in figure five of the paper. You can see more about that. Many economists have kind of danced around this idea of defining uh, what is such corruption, but there's never really been a test to say yes or no, this is what such corruption actually is. There's been a lot of literature in the corruption field, but nobody has tried to look at corruption within an academic discipline, within a study, in so much as they've tried to look at it in development. And that may seem like, well, that may seem obvious, right? We care about how corruption affects growth. We don't care about how corruption affects our understanding of growth or the way that corruption affects growth. But if all of our tools and all of our our ways of understanding the world are corrupt, then why would we think that our outcomes wouldn't be corrupt as well? So the paper then goes on to look at the welfare impacts of this shadow professorate. Naturally, a model should be developed, a model was developed, but I ran out of time, so there is no model in the paper. But the model, at its heart, shows a picture of the shadow professorate as complementing this formal sector economy, complementing in the regard that they take resources from formal professors from development professionals. They take the resources in order to, to serve them, with provide them with goods and services, right? In order to abuse their entrusted power for private gain or to change the rules so that their entrenched interest group uh, gets more financial benefits. So that the part of those welfare effects deal with this redistribution to the shadow professorate. The other part deal with the redistribution away from the real functioning economy. And it's this redistribution of resources away from the real good part of the economy, which is the actual problem. And in the paper, we show that uh, even the, the most tenuous linkages between uh, economics faculty quality and uh, research output and economic outputs in the area where they conduct research. There seem to be very confusing relationships between these variables and that suggests that we need to study something without a lot of corruption in order to know how to uh, push development further. Uh, I had access to a very good World Bank data set looking at evaluations of World Bank projects, showing that the amounts of money involved in applying development economics to the practice of development economics involves hundreds of billions of dollars. So getting theories wrong because people are self-interested, economists are self-interested, it can ruin lives and welfares for generations to come. Uh, the last part of the paper is probably the juiciest in that part of the paper. Uh, I provide estimates of the size of the shadow professorate, the number of 
graduate students and regression monkeys working in these paper mills, uh, tapping out papers for a rich 20-something-year-old family members of the elite, particularly in developing countries, who are unable or unwilling to write their own theses and, and dissertations by themselves. Uh, we show that the number of ghostwritten theses annually well exceed 20,000 per year. Uh, the number of full-time equivalent shadow professors seems relatively small at roughly 2,000. But when you compare that with the number of development pra- of unqualified development practitioners who actually distorts the messages of development economics by reason of their work in the field, then those numbers are easily 20,000 per year. Uh, The number of ghostwritten peer-reviewed articles per year, uh, roughly 10,000-ish in development economics, but that's that could be anything up to 100,000. The the numbers are very bad. The value of corruption in development economics, very simple view is 60 billion US dollars. And that's just the the value going into this shadow professorate. I mean, one could think of the actual uh, downstream harms, which we which I show in the paper, are easily 200 billion plus. So uh, the employment side of the shadow professorate, wages in the shadow shadow professorate are determined by some key outputs. Uh, those outputs are masters, dissertations, doctorates, conference papers, academic papers, book proposals, uh, book manuscripts, and it's perfectly ethical and legal. Well, it's not ethical necessarily, but it's definitely legal to contract with someone and say. I will write your doctoral dissertation for you in exchange for money. And there's a, a well-set price for that. And because of the internet economy, that price is relative, relatively standard across borders. And that price, depending on haggling between the parties, incomes, uh, the subject, probably the ranking of the university, and so forth, that changes the price, but one could expect to pay something in the ra- around the order of 20,000 US dollars for a dissertation where, of, where one might or might not be able to pass uh, the evaluation committee. One can discuss the add-ons, which might make that price higher or lower, but that's that's not really what I want to do in this talk. Instead, I just want to say that there are well-known posted prices for uh, the work of the shadow professorate, and they're so regularized and standardized because these corrupt institutions and this institutional corruption has been operating over such a large period of time that like most crept prices, they're, they've already become relatively common knowledge. Uh, the paper then cites all the other studies kind of proving this work in the uh, ghost writing of theses and dissertations, uh, providing market estimates, providing estimates of uh, predatory journals and predatory documents, 
showing that there's a whole universe of journals out there that are ready and waiting to publish in exchange for money, editors that are waiting to edit in exchange for uh, these gray or black market fees that lie outside kind of the standard reputable tracks that we think about when we think about work as development economists. Um, the paper also then goes on to def- to describe the uh, sharp incentives that professors have for using the shadow professorate, as some of them can increase their lifetime income by hundreds of thousands of euros or more. So there's definitely a lot of money at play in in the shadow shadow professorate. Um, looking at at uh, development outcomes, we see through just one very simple database uh, published by the World Bank, not only the high proportion of development projects that wipe out, but also the value of those wiped out projects. And I argue in the paper that such wiping out might reflect bad theory or bad implementation once, twice, couple of years, couple of decades. But as we get on to over 100 years now, it's obvious that there are biased biased factors that are causing the uh, distorted development of development economic theories and distorted practices in the field. It's not the case that uh, you know, a low-income country officials are have just are ignorant have and have remained ignorant for decades instead one could much more easily believe a story that said they're paid to be ignorant because when people are paid to be dumb they they act dumb there's there's no there's no getting around that and when um senior officials in places like North Korea and Venezuela Guyana etc are paid to uh, put their political weight behind development theories that most of the profession have discredited, then one could be sure that there's a whole group of people that are still out there churning out these development theories. It's not like import substitution just died as a, a field of investigation in the 1950s. Uh, there's still academics giving fodder to these kinds of debates, wrong-headed debates, because there's so much money to be earned from these debates. So we show examples and links to studies in the paper describing this, this shadow professorate that's spinning out some of the theories that are useful by these entrenched interests and those they capture. Um, the paper cites an innovative study from Russia showing that when Russian governors buy phony doctorates, their uh, local broadband and housing policies tend to be worse, which I thought was an extremely interesting uh, study and probably one of the only direct studies pinning uh, some kind of distortion in economic theory to the actual performance of that theory. So in conclusion, the paper makes an, arg- an argument. And the argument is that there's these two types of corruption. 
corrupt institutions, which are rules of the game that are misapplied by individuals with entrusted power in order to get their own private return. These are often uh, academics and professors, but they're also those who are not academic and professors who want to be, those working in gray markets. Uh, there also, there's institutional corruption, whereby even if a think tank or an economics faculty had an incentive to know how capital really did influence outcome, that entrench interests in capture of economists in that faculty mean they're going to find what they're paid to find. Um, so given those two views of corruption, we have seen the development of a shadow prof professorate over the years. The shadow professorate provides the intellectual ammunition for these self-serving individual theorists and practitioners. Um, they also represent the practitioners themselves. The most important part to know about them is that they're in the shadow, so we don't see them. They're not the ones out on the podium advocating a particular development approach or uh, telling the ministry how to do it. Instead, the shadow profess professor, in this case, are the ones whispering into the ear of the minister, telling the minister, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. It's the shadow financier's idea which is running development. It's not the, the man or woman whose face you see in the press and in the meetings. So given this, the existence of the shadow professorate, we need to know its size and its impact. Uh, the paper provides its size in terms of employment in both of the theory academic side and in the development project practitioner side. Uh, the paper then also describes the impacts on uh, the projects themselves. So the World Bank will have health projects, water projects, uh, civil service reform, etc. Those will have a value, and those are project-tied, right? So if it's a $100 billion project, then there has to be at least $100 billion in social value tied up in that project. But of course, there are downriver impacts as well. And the paper specifically ignores trying to quantify those impacts because that would require developing an extensive model and doing econometrics. And the journal that I'm trying to publish this paper in had relatively tight deadlines, so that work could not be done. But I hope that the paper stimulates a debate and stimulates interest in this area so that such modeling and econometric work can be done in the future. Thank you very much.